Hello and welcome to the Pots and Trials podcast with me, Martin Fish, joined by Sean and Jill. Hi. And we've got all sorts happening today, including a lovely chat with Helen Bainbridge, who is affectionately known as the Queen of Pelagoniums. And later we'll be answering some of your questions. And if you've got a question for Martin, drop us an email, info at potsandtrials.com. And if you've got two minutes spare please do drop us a review about on the podcast it just helps the podcast reach more people yeah and uh, martin's got some jobs for us to do um as well during the rest of the program um and things to do when you're not having a bath or doing the ironing and <laughs> <laughs> not listening to our podcast uh, but first let's go up to north yorkshire and uh, and have a chat to helen So, Helen, you are affectionately known on the show circuit as the Queen of Pelagoniums because you, you are an expert in Pelagoniums, which is nobody can deny. But you before you started with Pelagoniums, which we are going to talk about in a few minutes time, you started, I think, on nurseries, didn't you? That's how your career started. That's right. Yes, I started working at Swanland Nurseries, which was my, um, that's near Hull, which was my pre-college year. Um and that was a nursery that grew everything, soft fruit, grew cut flower croissants, bedding plants, um, pelagoniums, fuchsias, all sorts of house plants, bit of everything really. And it was a really good grounding. So did you always know that you wanted to go into horticulture when you left school? You know, is it something that you did before you left school? Yeah, pretty much. I, I, my dad was a really good keen grower, um, amateur grower, and he um, encouraged me. And I got my first greenhouse when I was about seven years old uh, for Christmas. And it held a, a collection of cacti and succulents. And that's how I started. So I joined the Cacti and Succulent Society when I was about say, seven, somewhere around about seven years old. And I used to go to the meetings with my dad. And, um, and I used to uh, show plants all over the country. Country. I used to enjoy that going all around the country different different cactus shows every weekend through the summer yeah so you would probably be one of the youngest members of the cactus society I would have thought I can't imagine there'd be many under seven years old that's right yeah I was I was a baby of the group yeah so when you you went to college as well and and it wasn't long before you set up your own nursery which was a pelagonium nursery um, fir trees pelagoniums in North Yorkshire so what made you go into pelagoniums big style right well what I, I had pelagoniums as well from when I was really young so sort of again eight nine years old I, I had a, a collection of house plants and uh, pelagoniums were part of that I, you know people give you them don't they as cuttings when you're young scented ones and things mm-hmm. and i just you know decided i, I really like them i like the colors the vibrancy of them and so um yeah i had a, a small collection of pelagoniums from quite a young age and then as i say when i went to swanland nurseries my pre-college year that was when i really got into them because they were a pelagonium specialist Uh, Mary Spink uh, had the collection and um, I really got into them then and started collecting them big time and then when I started my nursery which was a year after leaving college um, I had pelagoniums, fuchsias which is another passion and streptocarpus which I love as well Um, so it was those main three groups of plants and when we did our first show stand it was a mixture of the three which was quite an unusual mix 
Um, and then over the time, probably two, three years of having the nursery, pelargoniums really took over because they were the plants that were in flower first. So the easiest thing to get ready for a show early on. And they stayed in flower the longest when everything else was sort of going dormant. So pelargoniums really took over. And um, although you haven't got the nursery now and you don't exhibit at the shows, you've still got a big involvement at the shows. But when you were at the height of your exhibiting, because you did all the major shows, didn't you? Chelsea, Hampton Court, Town, the Harrogate Flower Shows. I mean, I don't know how many shows you did a year, but you were on the road a lot with your pelargoniums. How many varieties of pelargoniums did you have in your collection? Do you know? Oh, I think we were up to about 400, between 450 and 500 varieties, yeah, at the height of it. And they would be, you'd be growing those because you would then be selling those plants when you were at the flower shows. Yeah, that's right. We used to carry all our own stock plants uh, and additional, we had the show plants in a separate area. So we had show plants that went from show to show um, over the years each one, each plant would do probably one or two shows a year and then be rested and then go out again the following season. Um, and yeah, we propagated everything ourselves, all in-house. Um, yeah, we, we had a production of uh, about 30,000 cuttings on a run and we used to do fill the beds up and take them off about three times a year. So quite a lot of plants. So you, obviously you'd need help with that because, you know, you're away at the shows and it's a lot of work building a display. Then you're at the show, breaking it down, going home, getting ready for the next one. So you must have had some help at the nursery as well, I take it. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We had a really, really good team. Um, the girls were brilliant. Um, we had Ellie, we had Val and we had Kath. And then my mum, she used to help. And my dad, when he was alive, he would help on the nursery as well. So, yeah, really good team. And then another friend would come in uh, just helping packing mail order. Um, Betty, she was a, a real, you know, she's a lovely friend and a character. And we used to have a really good you know, team and a good laugh as well. We mm. all used to enjoy working together. Well, I, I remember seeing your displays at the shows before you retired from exhibiting. Um, and, you know, we talk of pelargoniums and you showed them for a couple of times a year, then rest them and bring them out again. But these weren't the normal pelargoniums that people think about in a six inch pot. These were huge plants, weren't they? Some of your regal pelargoniums were, I don't know how old they were. They must have been years old and they were amazing large specimens. Yeah, I mean, we our plants were up to sort of 20, 22 years old and we had the nursery 22 years. So I know some of them were 22 years old. Um, because we, we allocated them as a show plant from the start off, you know, when we first started the nursery. Um, but pelargoniums are basically tender shrubs. Um, they will get woody. They will, you know, they need that woody stem, that woody stem structure to carry all the foliage and the flowers that they're going to produce. So as long as you can keep them frost free, repot them every year at least, if not more. They do, they're greedy. They're like fresh compost regularly. Um, so if you can keep doing that and keep feeding them liquid feed through the summer and deadheading and cleaning they will go on year after year and reward you you know time and time again with a, a beautiful show of flower and, and the proof was there because you were showing plants that were 20 plus years old and getting yeah gold and huge medals. huge plants as well martin yeah. they were sort of five foot high and five foot across if you remember we had to clean the flowers on a step ladder before <laughs> a show <laughs> so i mean getting ready for a show there's a lot of work isn't there it's not just a case of getting the plants out the greenhouse taking them to a show and putting them on a on a table i mean you would spend hours probably days getting them ready and then building the stand yeah 
Absolutely, yeah. We use it to time the flowers for the show. So um, 12 days for a single and 14 days for a double-flowered pelargonium, all the flowers would be stripped off, all the open flowers. So you walk in the uh, show house and there was petals and flowers all over the floor while we got them swept up again. Um, but they had to be taken off because... The, the fresh flowers needed to be timed to perfection so that they would travel. A lot of the flower shows were a long way away from us. Hampton Court, you know, sort of a uh, two, 250 mile uh, down there to, mm -hmm. to the show. So if they if they were old flowers, they would drop off in transit. So they all had to be fresh so that they would travel and look good when they got to the show. Yeah. And so that was a job that needed doing. And then we would clean the leaves as well and do a mock setup at the show. Uh, sorry, at the at the nursery before we took them to the show. So that was a two day job. And we'd have everything measured and photographed so that when we got to the show, we knew exactly where everything was going to go on the stand. So an awful lot of preparation work. Um, but it paid yeah. off, didn't it? Because you got a tremendous amount of gold medals at all the shows, RHS and other shows as well. I mean, am I right in thinking it was 80 odd RHS gold medals? Yeah, 87 RHS goals and we had six RHS Best in Shows and we had some of the annual awards as well um, and the Lawrence Medal for the Best Stand of the Year, which was the pinnacle. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we had other Best in Shows like at um, Malvern, Harrogate, those sorts of shows as well, other than RHS, yeah. Yeah, so it was amazing displays, they really were. Now, uh, all the different types of pelargoniums, you've grown them all, you know, you've got the, the scented leaf, you've got the zonals, you've got the fancy leaves, you've got the regals and the angels. If you had to choose one to grow, it's all you could do, grow one type of pelargonium, which would be really difficult for you, I know. But what would it be? Oh, goodness. Um, now, that depends whether I'm having them outside or inside. Oh, oh I can have two then, <laughs> an indoor one okay, and an outdoor. So, right. Indoor one, I would have a regal pelargonium because they're really big and blousy and vibrant, as you know, and they're wonderful, but they don't like the heavy rain on them. So I have those inside. They're great in conservatories, and they're also lovely on windowsills. So regal pelargoniums for inside, outside, stellar pelargoniums. They're the ones with the little star-like flowers, and they're brilliant because they constantly flower, and the rain drops through the petals because they're not the really big, fluffy, blousy flowers. They're quite starry, and the rain falls through the flowers and they just last so well if the weather is a bit inclement okay there you go some good choices there so what we'll do we'll take a little break then we're going to find out about your judging uh, a bit about your garden and a few top tips for growing pelargonians at this time of the year <laughs> eighty-seven gold medals eighty-seven it's incredible, isn't it? Royal Horticultural Society medals and all sorts of other things. And she said mm. something was the pinnacle. The Lawrence, was it the Lawrence medal? What's that, Martin? Mm. Yes, it was the Lawrence medal. And what we also ought to add on to that, she's got 87 RHS gold medals. But, of course, Helen also used to do other shows like Southport, the Harrogate yeah. shows, uh, the Shrewsbury show. So 
she's probably got as many gold medals again from independent shows. So she's probably, yeah, getting on for, you know, 150, 200 gold medals during her time exhibiting. But she said the Lawrence Medal was the pinnacle of her career. So tell us a bit about that. Well, the Lawrence Medal is an RHS medal and it is the top award that an exhibitor can get. And it's uh, awarded annually. Um, and it's based on your all the exhibits at all the shows. So, you know, Chelsea... Hampton Court, Tatton, uh, back then it would have been Cardiff as well, and, mm. and the, the, the Westminster shows as well. And it's voted on basically at the end of the year, so there are lots of contenders, and one is selected, and they are awarded the Lawrence Medal, so a very prestigious award indeed, and it's it's given at the award ceremony, which is usually in spring, um, so it will be from the show's previous year, a big flash ceremony. Um, in fact, I've been invited to it this year. In fact, I might even pop down and have a look. Um, and yeah, no, it's a big thing for the exhibitors. To get the Lawrence Medal is, you know, really, really wow. special. Wow. I mean, oh, and listening to all that prep that goes into the shows, I mean, I don't think anyone's under any illusions that it's a lot of hard work, but but I've got this vision in my head of this massacre of petals in the nursery on the run-up to the, you know, <laughs> like yeah. just petals everywhere. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and yeah. so that timing there, she was talking about what taking the, the the flowers off so that fresh ones grow in time for the next show. Is that what she was meaning? Yeah, I mean, it, it and it is sort of you know really precise to almost to the day they can time them. So it would be if the plants are in full flower in the greenhouse, but they're needed for a show in a cut fortnight's time. They know exactly when to remove all the flowers at a certain stage so that it gives them time to grow new buds and start to open. So they are perfect when it comes to judging. And she's a she is a master of it. She really is. She perfected it over the years. And, and she's a, you know, she's a very good grower, excellent with the pelagonians, but she can grow anything. Whatever she turns her hand to, she really does it very, very well mm, indeed. No wonder she's mm. the queen of I think pelagonians. Quite... Yeah. Go ahead, Jill. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. I think quite a few of our pelagoniums are ones that you've had from Helen, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. I mean, sadly, she's no longer open to the public. The nursery is gone. It's now part of the garden, but she's still got a private collection. So I always know if I want a pelagonium, <laughs> Helen will root me a cutting and I know I'm going to get a fantastic plant from her. Fabulous. And she started out with cacti aged seven. We, we heard that about seven. You know, seven. Mm. I mean, with her first greenhouse. Children seven. often do know, cactus, and cacti, don't they? You know, when they're. Yeah. yeah. Well, her dad had a big collection of cacti, you know, a really specialist collection. I never knew her dad, um, but she's told me about it. And she's still got one of his old greenhouses that she's renovated, a wooden greenhouse, um, the lovely cedarwood one that she renovated a few years ago, which she uses as one of her growing houses. So, uh, yes, he was a big influence and a mum as well in the life uh, of, of horticulture for her. Our middle daughter, Harriet, she had a few uh, cacti on her windowsill, but... <laughs> didn't lead to anything i'm afraid no. to say they just no. got drier and drier <laughs> and in our bathroom <laughs> they dropped flowered on the quite floor nicely actually recently which is which is good um uh-huh. just quick side note if you have a question for martin uh, which we'll try and answer on the podcast it's pots and trials no it's not pots and trials it's info at pots and get it right sean um so just drop us an email or leave us a comment if you're watching or listening to this on youtube as a video if that kind of makes sense somehow um anyway we do have a question coming up from well we've got a couple of questions coming up from uh, listeners to the podcast um and later on martin will be doing some jobs for you as well um let's go to this first question are you ready for a question martin are you ready yeah i'm ready all right this go. has come from barbara she's in california from what we can uh, see from the message she says thanks for the help and information having some problems with my hydrangeas right now don't know if they froze or partially froze or she 
wonders if they had too much water. She sent us some pictures and we're she's hoping you can diagnose what's going on. Uh, some are budding even though they're in bad shape so she doesn't really know what to do. Should she cut them back and start fresh or let them or thin them and let some strong ones grow? Basically she's looking for some advice. You've seen the pictures. What are we looking at Martin? Yeah I mean I, I had to sort of google a little bit because Barbara in one of the messages said I think they're in zone 9a and I wasn't familiar with zone 9a um, <clears throat> which does get frosty and you think of California being wall-to-wall sunshine but obviously parts of it do get quite cold. The photographs basically look Barbara like what our hydrangeas would look like at the moment in the UK. They're void of leaves, they look like they've been through a winter with some frost on them, look a bit tatty around the edges uh, and lifeless um, but very soon they're going to start bursting into growth and you've sent some very clear photographs we can see the old heads that flowered last year they don't look particularly old plants um there's some wheat growth in the base but you've got some nice strong stems with the old flowers on and you've done some close-ups as well of the flower buds so we can see that yeah they are alive and waiting to to burst into growth so i think depending on your weather in, in england we wouldn't normally do it until the weather is starting to get a little bit milder so i would normally wait in england till march but if your weather is now you know the worst of the weather's gone you can essentially deadhead them with a sharp pair of secateurs so you're taking off the old flowers down to a, a fat pair of buds below because it's those fat buds just below the old flower that will produce side shoots and they will be your new flowers for this summer and then what I would do where you've got some sort of quite weak growth down at the base I would prune that quite hard back and that will encourage a nice flush of strong growth from low down in the plant that probably won't flower this year it might do depending on the growing season but if it doesn't flower this year that will definitely flower again for you next year so uh, I think they're fine and maybe a bit of fertilizer around them just to give them a, a bit of a boost when they grow but I think you know they're looking as I would expect them to look at this time of the year super stuff super stuff and we'll have another uh, listener's question um, in the last part of the show uh, what else should we be doing in the garden at the minute Martin if we haven't got hydrangeas to be uh, looking after well, one of the things we've just done, um, and it will appear on a video soon, I'm, I'm sure, um, is we've cut the hedge. So if you've got hedges in your garden, deciduous hedges, um, then give them a tidy up before the spring because we don't want to be doing any hedge cutting when the birds are nesting. So I like to make my cutoff point for trimming any hedges, just that tidy up, uh, end of February. So, you know, you've got a couple of weeks left to do it. So just get the trimmer out, your shears or whatever you're using um, and tidy them up. And then you've got a good solid hedge that will then make new growth through the spring. So it's it's quite a therapeutic job to do I find and it makes you feel that you're doing something because there's not a great deal you can do in the garden at this time of the year it's not but... very therapeutic clearing up afterwards though because <laughs> you do the hedge cutting and I have to use the rake afterwards yes. so well, is there a top tip from easier I've, I've got a tip up? I've like got a tip laying... hang on it what it is is Jill you keep hold of the camera so you need some more close-ups of the rake <laughs> Martin keeps raking and um, for people who are yeah. listening to this that video's out now actually I think Martin's getting mixed up about mm. what week's what but that video's right if you want to go over to my YouTube channel and, and check it out but anyway sorry do you have any tips for clearing other than kind of trickery yeah. well other than get yourself a gel yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah well I, I yeah I like to use the uh, we've got well, we've got various rakes I've got one that is an expandable rake you can adjust it so it's narrow and wide that's good if you're raking out between plants but where we were raking on the lawn I've got a, a quite a flexible plastic wide rake with flexible tines mm. and that makes a really easy mm. job to do it it helps if you put a ground sheet down though doesn't it and then you can cut onto that and then you've just got to lift the ground sheet yeah, up but if, you never do that 
You, well, I do if it's a lot, but I was only just taking off wispy bits. I think anyway. we should move on and go back to Helen. Yeah, you, you demoed the ground sheet technique a few years ago, but I've never seen you use it in, since. So uh, if you dig out one of our old videos, you'll see what Martin uh, putting a tarp down, a wonderful tarp down. And it all looks very neat and tidy. Yeah. And I've used that technique as a result. But yeah, um, it's sometimes you, you just go, oh, I just get stuck in. <laughs> Time to get back to Helen. Yeah. <laughs> so Helen, you don't exhibit at the shows anymore, but you're at all the flower shows as a judge, as a senior judge with the RHS and you judge at other shows as well. So how did that happen, that transition from being one of the top exhibitors to becoming one of the top judges? Well, to start with, um, it went back to uh, the year 2000, the millennium year. Um, a few exhibitors were asked by the RHS to shadow the judging to be a designate judge. So we didn't get a vote or a say, we just followed the panels round and that the ones that did well and were potential judges were taken on. And I was one of the ones that were taken on by uh, Bob Sweet, who was in charge at the RHS running the shows then. And uh, luckily uh, they liked what they saw when I was judging and took me on. And since then uh, I've developed and become a senior judge and uh, now I do a lot of moderating at the shows as well, which I love. And uh, I've been judging now for 22 years, I think it is. Which is a, a long time to be judging, isn't it, really? Um, and I, yeah. I, I suppose having been an exhibitor, I was going to say you know all the tricks, but it's not a case about knowing the tricks. You were, you know what makes a good exhibit, don't you? So that does that make it easier for you to judge, do you think, knowing how much work goes into creating that display? Yeah, I think uh, being an exhibitor does give you an insight into what goes into a display and how much work goes into it and how the mechanics of building an exhibit uh, work as well. Some really simple exhibits are actually very complicated in the way that they have to be built. Um, so that's really interesting. I think it gives me a good insight into, you know, into how it works um, to make me a, a good judge. And I pride myself on being a fair judge um, and it doesn't matter who the exhibitor is. A lot of them are my friends, but, you know, if they do a good display, they get rewarded. If they don't do a good mm. display, they don't get the reward. So, yeah, it, fairness is really, really important. Yes, and it's got to be. And, and you mentioned uh, moderating. Um, that's a sort of slightly sort of what well, it is part of the judging process. So do you want to just explain briefly what moderating is? Yeah, moderating, there's three, normally three moderators at a flower show and the moderators are there to maintain the, a level standard throughout the show. So they uh, listen to the um, the results that they, each panel have proposed and as long as the moderators agree, absolutely fine. If the moderators um, give a different medal to the panels, then it's discussed uh, it's taken to a revert sometimes, and then the outcome of that is either a medal up or a medal down. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of discussion goes into it, and it's a really, really fair process so that the whole show is a level playing field and the panels don't judge lighter or harder than each yeah. other. And and it is, as you say, very fair, and, and it means you've got that consistency, doesn't it, from one show to yes. the next? Because a gold medal at Chelsea should be the same as a gold medal at Hampton Court and Tatton. 
and, and, and the other shows. So it makes sure it's nice and even across there. So you're no longer exhibiting. You're doing your judging. And one of the things when you stop the nursery, you always say you retired and you, you're too young to retire, but you, you retired from the nursery um, so you could spend more time doing other things, including developing your garden. Now, you've got a big garden up in North Yorkshire. Part of it, what is the garden now, is where the nursery was, where the old glass houses were. So just describe, you know, your garden. How, If somebody wanted to know what it's like, how would you describe your garden? Oh, my garden is a mix of lots of different things. So we have rockeries, we have a pond um, with koi carp fish in it. Uh, we have lawns, we have borders, mixed borders with shrubs as well as herbaceous bulbs, um, lots of trees. Uh, so it's like a, almost like a mini arboretum. So within the lawn, there's lots of specimen trees. I love conifers. They give you all round, all year round colour. Um, I love the way they change colour as well. The, the golden ones, they become sort of more uh, orangey in the autumn and then they become really bright gold in the spring and they stand out against the blue sky if you get a lovely day in the spring. Um, yeah, there's lots of deciduous things, flowering shrubs, um, a mix of all sorts of things. And since we retired and, and uh, having a bit more room, we've built raised beds and we now grow fruit and veg and especially cut flower, which I love to grow. Um, so with your help, Martin, you've helped me a lot with my veg growing because my dad was a brilliant veg grower. But I was more into the perennials and the tender plants and didn't really get involved with the veg growing like my dad did. Uh, so I had to learn a lot when I started my veg garden and, uh, and, and you were very helpful there. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Well, I, and I must admit, you've got an amazing veg garden because it's it's where the glass house was, isn't it? So you've created these raised yes. beds, but you've got part of the framework and it's all enclosed to keep the birds out and pests out, isn't it, really? So it's like walking in a, a net structure that is pest free yes well i'd love it to be pest free things <laughs> have crept in <laughs> i don't know how they get in we have snails we have slugs we have you know aphid in there um so it is quite frustrating gardening would be so easy if we didn't have all the pests mm. um you know and the diseases uh, to, to you know, hamper all the growing but uh, i do try and keep on top of it but yeah the pest the pest thing is a struggle every mm. year yeah and you I, i've been lots of times you do grow a lot of veg you also go quite a bit of fruit as well and you planted fruit um, and outside yeah. it, it's sort of the potager area it, it is a lot of colour there as well and you do plant your pelagoniums in beds as well so it is a really attractive sort of kitchen garden potager that you've created um, so on the subject and uh, how big is it by the way is it, am I right in thinking it's about an acre your garden it is an acre yeah the whole thing is an acre the garden we started 30 about 32 years ago and the new area where the greenhouses were, it's 10 years old now. Mm. So, yeah, no, it's looking really good. It is, a, as you say, a garden for all seasons, lots of trees and colour all the way through the year. Um, now, pelagoniums, it's, you know, here we are now, second, third week in February. Not really a pelagonium time, but if anybody's got a few pelagoniums at home that they've overwintered, either on a windowsill or in a conservatory that's frost-free or in a little greenhouse, again, where it's been kept frost-free, what should people be thinking of doing to get them growing so they get a really good display later on this summer? Okay, yeah, lots of things you can do. This is the time now where the, the day length is increasing, so they're starting to put some new growth on. Now, 
it's still not great light levels, so they will be stretching. The new growth will be elongating. We don't want that because that would be make a floppy plant in the summer when it's got lots of flowers to carry. So what you need to be doing now is pinching out that long elongated growth so that you're taking it back to a shorter, chunkier looking plant. And that will inc that pinching out will encourage lots of side shoots. All the, all the side shoots back down the stems will break and produce more stems, more flowers for later on. And repotting now is, is important. You know, this is the time when they're starting to get going. Repot them into uh, the next size pot up and that will give them a boost and really get them looking good. And, and that's something you always talk about when you're doing demonstrations at shows is, you know, don't go from a small pot to a big pot. It's only just enough to get a little bit of compost around the side, it's isn't it? it? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit at the bottom, a little bit round the sides. And you can, if you want to leave the plant, if it's in a quite a big pot and you don't want to pot it any bigger, say it's in an eight, nine inch pot, you can take it, this time of year is great, you can take it out of the pot, rake off some of the old compost and put it back in the same pot, but with fresh compost all around the root ball. Yeah, exactly. And if your plant is one that hasn't been pinched out in the past and it's a bit sort of tall and leggy now, would it do it any harm if you actually got your secateurs and gave it a bit of a trim down or is that a bit of a dangerous thing to do at this time of the year? You can do it. I'd wait a few weeks yet, though. Right. There's still a lot of botrytis around in the atmosphere. It's still quite damp. Um, if you can, if you've got plants in a greenhouse, if you can ventilate on a sunny, warmish day, then that will that will really help with the botrytis. The botrytis makes the leaves go um, mouldy and grey, fluffy looking. Um, remove any leaves that are starting to go yellow on your plants. Keep them clean at this time of year. But it, it is a thing that will wane after you know once you get into sort of late february you get less botrytis and i would probably if you've got a plant that really needs cutting back i would probably wait until it starts to warm up a little bit mid-march is fine because by then it's just going to want to grow i suppose isn't it so yeah, wait until then that's right brilliant yeah. so that but then you'll have wonderful flowers all year round and you can enter the village show can't you so that's the yeah. idea <laughs> helen um thank you very much what we need to do is catch up with you again in the summer when you've got some of your pelagoniums at a show or somewhere uh, and you can give us a sort of a, a summer masterclass uh, in fact if anybody listening to this um, wants to see Helen we did record with you a couple of years ago and we'll put a link on the show notes where people can see that video but Helen thanks for all the tips um, and look forward to seeing you at the shows later on in the season thank you Martin yes looking forward to it Helen has got some fabulous specimens in her garden, hasn't she? I know we've been a couple of times and, and I love that she likes conifers for just that sort of general backbone of, of the garden as well. And that reminds me because we did a podcast, well, you did a podcast at Harlow Carr, mm. didn't you? And talked to Russ about the winter garden and he's got some favourite uh, conifers there. Yeah, he has. Well, we also did the video so you can see mm. the video as well. Um, and one that looks really good at this time of the year is one called Cryptomeria japonica. Mm. Um, and it, it's it changes and that's why Russ includes it in the winter garden because it's green in the summer but the colder it gets in the water it go uh, winter it goes a lovely 
sort of deep, almost maroon colour the colder it gets. Mm. And then in the spring when it warms up, it grows back to green again. Mm. So he calls it the changeable conifer. That's episode 13, mm. if, if anyone wants to search it out specifically or those yeah. who've heard it already. Um, by the way, talking to podcasts and other podcasts, it'd be really helpful to us if you've got two minutes just to do a review or just literally just click on whether you think we're worth one, two, three, four, five stars. That'd be amazing. Five? Just, Was that five? Five stars. <laughs> um, just just helps us, um, uh, whatever these algorithms kind of recommend us to other people then. And, and that just helps yeah. helps us get out a little bit further yeah. in the wider podcasting world, I suppose. Mm. It's, it's interesting. Going back to Helen, it's interesting that she, um, although she's given up putting on shows, her garden is almost like a giant show bench, isn't it? Because it's just so artistic. You can tell that she has a real artistic flair because her garden is just beautiful. And, you know, her, her veg plot mm. is, is, is a picture and her fruit area is just beautiful, isn't it? I know when we went, when I went last time, she'd got some, um, help me out, Martin, there were some brick plinths and then she'd got rope in, in, a, oh, in a sort yes, of swag yes. but she'd grown she'd trained was it ivy that she'd I trained along, along, along the rope as well oh. so it was just this it was so Stunning. pretty Stunning. Yeah. really and picturesque she's got the whole garden fruit trees in in sort of raised beds that mm. are planted beautifully around the base but she prunes them to a, a nice decorative shape as well they, they they're productive they produce fruit but yes she's she's very much got an eye for detail can i suggest her. you take the camera along and maybe we do a pots and trowels a little a peek over that uh, that yes. would be lovely yes yeah we could do that in the summer yeah. definitely yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm ready for a new few more geraniums so <laughs> pelagoniums if i say okay. geraniums i get told off pelagoniums Helen. well tell us the difference <clears throat> what's the difference well they are members of the geranium family uh, but the the true geranium is a hardy perennial that we grow in the garden that we cut down in the winter and it comes back yeah so lots of them pinks and blues um and the the pelagonium um, is the, the tender form. So they come from South Africa. So there's lots of different types, as Helen was telling us, of pelagonium. But they are commonly known as geraniums. Mm. And that's what most oh, people right. know pelagoniums as, you know, geraniums that you put in your containers in the yeah. summer. But yeah. So they're same family, but they give them different Just names. one thing at the end there. Uh, there was talk, you were discussing botrytis. Have I got that right? I'm just wondering what that is. What is botrytis? Oh, you don't want that, Sean. Oh, no, no, no. Um, it's a fungal disease, um, which um, definitely don't want it. Manifests on the stems and the leaves of plants. Usually, it can happen any time, I suppose. But it's it's more of a problem in the winter if you've got plants in a glass house or a polytunnel, and it's cold and it's damp. And you get the leaves just basically go brown and mouldy and start to rot or bits of the stem. So it's quite easy to identify when you've got it. Um, and as Helen says, when the weather warms up and we get better air circulation, it becomes less of a problem. But through the winter, that's why we always tend to keep our pelagoniums in a well ventilated space and fairly dry over the winter to avoid Botrytis. Mm, don't crowd them. No, uh, exactly. Yeah. Lots of airflow. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Well, we have got. We've got time for a question. Yeah. We, we uh, we've got another problem with with a plant, but this time some daffodils, uh, and this has come from Shirley Shirley Wright, and she said, "I've deadheaded my paper white daffodils." So presumably last year she's talking about mm, no that paper whites are the ones that we often plant in pots for christmas those ah. scent you're not very keen on the scent they're no. quite heavily scented and ah, i've grown them in the past right. and you find it a bit sweet yeah okay all right okay well she's deadheaded them um she's never had much luck in keeping them around for the following year and usually ends up buying some new bulbs so she's is it possible to use them again uh, if i feed them until the foliage dies down 
Right, okay. So yes, as they, they will have already flowered. So we, we've grown them. You buy them, plant them in the autumn. Um, you've got to keep them indoors. They're not a, a one that you can plant in the garden. They're not frost hardy. Yeah. And you're almost forcing them into early growth and that can weaken the bulb. So most people just discard them, to be fair, surely. But I think if you wanted to keep them for next year, keep them somewhere uh, out of the frost. So if you've got a cool greenhouse or a conservatory, deadhead them, keep them watered and feed them that's the important thing because it's all about building up the bulb just like bulbs in the garden really build up that bulb and then when the foliage has completely died down just store them in a paper bag or a net bag somewhere nice and cool and then you can start them off again next autumn um september time mm -hmm. so they might not be as good but i think you'll still get some flowers mm -hmm. fantastic fantastic um i have to mention this because we had a message from um a listener called pauline who listens from the united states of america in the bath on a sunday morning so uh, pauline <laughs> just you know past a loofah Hi, Pauline. <laughs> That's the way to listen to our podcast while bathing. It's, it's probably easier than doing it in the shower, isn't it? It's a bit noisy. I, I have tried you, to listen. Paul. No, no, <laughs> listen to podcasts in the shower. No. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Not so well anyway. But no, fantastic. Well, welcome aboard, Pauline. It's great to have you listening. And um, thanks for sending us a message. It's really nice to hear from people, isn't it? Nice to hear from people who are listening. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Does it does it mean our podcasts are bath length? Is that the average length of a bath time? You know, maybe that's does that mean we, we need to stop well, talking? You, you otherwise, listen. the water's going cold. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, you listen to them when we do. You're ironing. I do the you? ironing. Yeah. 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 Yes. Feel free to do that as well. Yes, I will. I'm, I'm too busy raking up yeah. after hedge cutting. So Joe. other jobs then, Martin. Other jobs. Right. Yes. Well, I'm um, going to sow some sweet peas in the greenhouse. Um, too cold to put them out in the garden yet. But if you haven't sown them in the autumn and you want to get some sweet peas going, you can do it basically any time from now, right the way through till the end of March, and you will still get a wonderful display. So uh, I usually start with a, about a three and a half, four inch part, fill it with compost, sow maybe 10 seeds on the surface and then cover them with just um, about half an inch of compost, a centimetre or so of compost. They'll go in the greenhouse where it's just kept frost free and they'll be fine uh, and the other thing is we've got our potatoes mm. uh, which we got from kings we're growing a variety called swift and they're going to be started off we call it chitting which is a process where you get your seed potatoes that we'll plant in the garden in april we're going to put them in some trays in a light cool place and it will encourage the little the eyes at the top of the potato to grow and that process is called chitting and it just starts them into growth for about six weeks and then when we plant them out they've got a little bit of a head start so um, sweet peas and potatoes in the greenhouse this week and if for me. you need any help with those sorts of things um this time last year almost to the day we did a sweet pea video and then a week before this time last year we did a chitting potatoes video called how to start ah, potatoes growing so if, if you want to go and have a bit more detail on exactly how to do that go and check out that on the youtube channel um obviously send us your questions for next week if you have the chance to send us an email info at potsandtrowels.com that'd be amazing and we'll try and get to those questions and we'll be back of course next week when i'm going to be chatting to a chap called mark vasileski who is a parks manager on the royal parks in oh, london fantastic brilliant well we'll see you next week Watch the videos on YouTube or Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter or X and subscribe to the podcast and never miss a thing. For more information, go to potsandtrials.com.